Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. It's good to be together. It is indeed. It's good to be one church, one gathering, because we serve and worship one God. It is his church, it's not our church, and it's really good to celebrate and worship God this morning. I want to say to you, Happy New Year. It's a really good start of something fresh. Every new season gives us an opportunity for a new beginning. And I want to start this year strong. Is that okay? I want us to get going this year and achieve something. I believe that some of you are seeing things this year which actually will become reality. Don't just assume it be another year that passes by. I'm believing that what you're seeing will be something that will actually take place in 2020. That when we get to the end of the year, you'll look back and go, oh, that's the year that happened. God's at work. I love those verses we sang earlier. That even when we're not seeing it, God, you're still working. You're still doing stuff. God is at work behind your back and not always in front of your face. And what you're praying for may look like nothing is shifting, but maybe God is carefully putting things into place to see your prayers answered. Who believes that? 2020 is a great year. I asked you this question at the beginning of the new year, a new start, a new decade. I asked you this question, what are you setting your sights on this year? What are you setting your sights on this year? What are you looking to achieve? What are you seeing ahead of you in 2020? What is your vision? You're going to hear a lot about vision in 2020, aren't you? It's going to be the year of vision. Everyone who stands on any kind of platform, does any kind of talking, is going to talk about the year of vision. It's 2020 time, people. Uh, for those of you who do your eye tests, you, know, you talk about 2020 vision, having 2020 vision. I discovered this week that 2020 vision is not perfect vision. 2020 vision is having average vision. 20 feet away from the sign that you have to read those really small letters, an average person's eyesight can read the bottom line at 20 feet. That's 2020 vision. When I was in the fire service, I, um, I had to have a regular medical checkup every three years. And part of that test was to have my eyes tested. And I had to be checked that I was appropriate to do the job I was employed to do. And I remember the first time I went for my three-year medical. And um, my colleague had just been in before me. And he came out of the doctor's room. And he said to me, I don't know why I'm telling you this for. I'm going to get in so much trouble. This sounds terrible. He said, he said look behind the door. They have the eye test on the back of the door as you go in. I was like, great. So as I went in, I had a little sneaky, and there it was. It's amazing how easy it is to read when it's a couple of feet away from you. And I'm, this is really bad, I memorised the bottom line of this chart and then when I stood 20 feet away from the chart, the doctor said to me, what line can you read? I said, probably the bottom one. And I recited the line. And they went, that's very good, Mr. Dendy. You've passed. Isn't that a terrible thing? I'm, I'm so sorry. I feel like I need to confess. The truth is, I have got one good eye and one, this is why I wear glasses, one's not so good. Uh, the other tip as well, just give you, I'm going to give you all of it out right now, is what you can do is... They said to me, he said, right, cover your right eye. And then they said, cover your left eye. <laughs> I got away with that one for a long time. 
Anyway, anyway, there's enough secrets coming up for one day. Uh, what are we talking about here? We're talking about vision. And the vision for Freedom Church, we want to see, we want to lead people in the pursuit of Jesus to see lives and communities transformed. That's our mission. That's our vision. That's what we're seeing. We want people pursuing Jesus. We don't want people getting a nicer coffee, although it's great to have coffee before church this morning. We want you to have a lovely welcome and people warmly welcome you into church. We want you to sign up to different groups and join and participate in the activity church. We want to help people in financial debt and, 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 and in hardship and in, in, in times of challenge. We want to do those things, but ultimately... We're here to lead people in the pursuit of Jesus. And that's what makes lives and communities become different and transformed. And so I'm going to spend these next two weeks talking through that vision, that image. And so the idea is this week we're going to talk about leading people in the pursuit of Jesus. And next we're going to talk about what are the implications of that. What difference does it make? And a bit of a radical start for the new year. I'm going to read to you a whole chapter of the Bible. Okay, this thing, in case you weren't too sure, it's a Bible. Read it. Get hold of it. It is the Word of God. It's the best-selling book every single... In fact, it's so best-selling, they don't even put it on the best-selling list because it would just occupy number one every single year. So open up your Bibles or turn them on or whatever works for you. And we're going to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to just read three different sections from Ephesians chapter 2. And I want us to learn something as we have this new year, new start, about how do we pursue Jesus. As we look at the beginning of the year, we're looking out over the year, what can we do today to change what happens over the next few weeks? So starting Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says these words, Once you were dead... Because of your disobedience and your many sins. It's a good start, isn't it? How are you all feeling at this point? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the command of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Shall I leave it there or shall we carry on? Because the next verse starts pretty well. Here you go. Two really important words at the beginning of verse 4. But God. But God. You all sin. We've all messed up. We've all followed our sinful nature. We've all gone and made mistakes. We've all got things wrong. But God. It's all going wrong. It's all going pear-shaped. We're all going to hell in the handbasket, but God. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us with Christ from the dead. I think we need a few more amens in the house at that point. But God... It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace. I love that image there. We are basically being transformed like God. So in the future, people can point to us and say, look, if they could get saved... If they can be transformed, then surely it will be okay for you as well. 
We're examples so God can point to us of his incredible wealth, of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Whatever you have done or not done, you don't get rewarded by salvation. It's a gift. It's not a reward for what you've done. None of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We are God's masterpiece. Not because what we have done, but because what he has done for us. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. We're not just God's average painting. We're not just his 2020 vision. We are his exceptional masterpiece. He looks at us and goes, I am pleased with what I am seeing. And not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus Christ, who has transformed us. It is because God looks at us through the, through the lens of Jesus Christ. If he looked at us by ourselves, it would be a pretty disappointing story. But he looks at us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he looks as like we are brand new. We are his masterpiece. It's a new year. It's a new start. Lots of people do New Year's resolutions. The most popular ones are getting fit, losing weight, reducing your drinking, getting out of debt. They're the top resolutions. But those new resolutions are always because we're unhappy with our circumstances. We want to change our weight because we're unhappy with our weight. We want to change our fitness because we're unhappy with our fitness. We want to change our drinking habits because we're unhappy with the amount that we're consuming. We're changing our debt because we're unhappy with our finance. We're changing and putting new things into place because we're unhappy with the old. But I want to say to you, if you are a follower of Christ, the new has come. You are a new creation. The old has gone. Striving to achieve doesn't get us closer to heaven. Pursuing Jesus does. It's only through Jesus. And if I can give you one challenge to the start of this year, and I put it out on Facebook this week, you had a lot of interest, which is great. I want to challenge you to read your Bible every day. To read it every day. To make it a habit of your life. There are so many things out there, different apps and things. I recommended the one called Bible in One Year, which is with Nicky Gumbel, the guy who wrote the Alpha Course, to read every day a psalm or a proverb, a bit of Old Testament, a bit of New Testament, um, different parts of the Bible, and you can grow as you read the Word of God. Make it a habit. What I've discovered a number of years ago, people who say they're going to make lots of changes very rarely make any what I've decided to do is I set myself a target each year to do one thing differently, to change one thing. When I try and change five things, I tend to change none. And so a number of years ago, I was reading the Bible. I was a bit hit and miss. I went, no, I want to make it a habit that I read the Bible every day. And Lot and I used to always joke that it was what we do the Bible in two years. That was our kind of like, you know, internal joke. We go, oh yeah, we're just about managing it. And so I made it a thing. And one year, probably about seven or eight years ago, I said, I'm going to read the Bible every single day. And I started reading through the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation every single day. And I've done it for the last seven or eight years, every single year. 
And I say it to you not as a brag, but I say it to you as a habit that I've created that's brought health to my routine of life. Make a change. Make one change. And do it consistently. You may think that doesn't sound like very much, but after 10 years, you've made 10 changes that could transform the way you do your life. Read the Bible. Why? Because at the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, what does it say in the beginning? God. In Genesis chapter 1, the very start, the very opening book, it says, in the beginning, God. When you go to the halfway point, which is the, it was the Old Testament splits into the New Testament, you have Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1. What's Matthew chapter 1 all about? It's about Jesus. It's about the genealogy of Jesus, the, the history of Jesus. The Old Testament is all setting up the story before Jesus. It's the history of the Israelites. It's the story of what God is doing in his earth. And then the second half is all about what Jesus has done for us. It's the big story. Get hold of the Bible. Discover the Jesus who's at the beginning, Genesis 1, who's in the middle, Matthew chapter 1. God is at the centre. Focus on Jesus. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. People are desperate for happiness. People are desperate for their lives to be better. But actually what we need is forgiveness. We need forgiveness for the things that we do wrong, the mistakes we make. And the only way we get forgiveness, we need a saviour. Jesus is the one that saves us from our sins. Jesus at the centre of creation, the centre of the Bible, I challenge you to pursue Jesus, to follow Jesus. Hebrews 12 says these words, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because he has already endured that race. He's already run it before us. And if we're unsure what to do, fix your eyes upon Jesus. That line from that song that Lottie mentioned this morning, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Because everything else will make sense. We fix our eyes upon him. It's about Jesus. Pursue him. It's a new year. It's a new start. But the great thing about God is he doesn't do years or seasons. And we often do this whole new year, new beginning. The Bible tells us that he is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The God that we serve doesn't say, unless you make change in 2020, January the 1st, I'm not interested. He says, you know what, I'm here for you every morning. I am the same yesterday, today and forever. And I'm ready the moment you go, today I'm making the change. Today I'm going to bring something new into my life. He is faithful. He is great in his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. It's not just the new year that provides an opportunity for a fresh start. It is every day is an opportunity to get up and to pursue Jesus. Number one, new year, new start. We are God's masterpiece. Number two, if we go back to Ephesians chapter two, we all okay at the moment? Get the person nudged next to you, make sure they're not sort of still hung over from New Year's Eve. Fantastic, because that would be worrying if they were. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Um, here we go. Don't forget, that it talks about here about Gentiles. Gentiles were non-Jews, or people with a non-Jewish background, which is most of us probably in this room. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. 
You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, when, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Basically, Paul, the writer here of Ephesians, a guy called Paul, writing to a church in Ephesus, he's saying, you used to be without God. You used to have no knowledge of God. You used to have no idea. You had no hope. And then he carries on here. He said, you excluded from those things. Um, you live in this world without God, without hope. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Just pause it there. You used to be far from God, but now you're near. When I shared you that story at the beginning of my cheating the fire service eye test, the test is much easier when you are closer. The nearer you come to something, the easier it is to see it. If you stay close, you see better. If you stay close, you see better. When you stay close to Jesus, you can see the world better. You know, staying close to God does not take all your problems away, but it gives you a different view on the challenges you're facing. It always amazes me how some of the smallest things we deal with can take up so much of our attention. I know this Christmas break, numbers of you have had to face illnesses and family challenges and a car getting broken down and all sorts of things happening. And having to, we had a dishwasher in pieces two days after Christmas. No one wants a broken dishwasher. What a first world problem that is. You know, and we were there trying to fix a dishwasher and um, using YouTube as our guide. It wasn't pretty. And, um, and we've had to hand wash. Can you believe? I know, I know. I know. The world is tough out there, isn't it? We've even had to get our children involved in doing that. You haven't known you've been born and all that kind of stuff. We've had to fix these things. And it takes up so much of your energy and your time. But if we fix our attention to Jesus, the things of the world do go strangely dim. They're still there. But the attention that we place upon them, we push them to one side and we say, Jesus, I'm going to focus my attention on you. Because I know if I stay close to you, I will see things better. Things will be clearer. The closer you are, the better you see things. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and priest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Pursue him. When you pursue Jesus, you see him more clearly. You stay close, you see better. Pursue him. Make him the reason why you do what you do. Don't be anxious about things, but focus on Jesus himself. Seek first, Matthew 6 says, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We get sidetracked by stuff. And we think if we only got that stuff aligned, it would be fine. The Bible tells us, seek God, pursue him, and all that other stuff, that will sort itself out. Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
if you recognise, I need God, I need to pursue him, to follow him, to chase after him. Do you remember back in the probably 2000s, I'm guessing, you used to have those wristbands, WWJD. If you're not too sure, you're a little bit either too young maybe, what would Jesus do? It was a question to remind yourself when you're going through life, at this point, at this decision I'm going to make, what would Jesus do? What decision would he make? For me, over this last year, I've had some moments, both of you have heard about my health, I've had some challenges with my health, but I had this moment in the middle of last year where I really felt challenged about my spiritual health. And I, I felt challenged by the how is my soul question. How am I actually doing? Because I can stand here and I can recite scripture to you. I can say all the right things. On the outside, I can make it look like it's all working. But only you and I know what's going on inside of ourselves. And I felt God speak to me and going, how's your soul? And I've spent some time, and I'm still in that moment, this, someone's, someone's called the dark night of the soul, of exploring what is it that's going on inside me? Why does it sometimes I feel like I'm going through the motions and God feels distant, but I know his promises, he is close. He is always with me, whether I feel it or not. And I've been challenging myself and doing lots of reading around what is going on with my soul. How is my soul? How am I close to Jesus? I know when I'm close to Jesus, life makes sense. When I'm arrogantly pursuing my own desires, and I say, God, I'll call you when I need you. That's when it goes wrong. That's when it goes pear-shaped, when I say, God, I've got this. I'll, I'll, I'll ring you up at the next challenge I face. But for now, leave me to crack on. It doesn't work. And I want to pursue Jesus. I'm committed to fixing my eyes upon Jesus. To look after my soul. Because when I stay close to him, I see better. And we're going to be doing some more teaching around that this year. I'm looking forward to talking about some of those things. I'm, I'm just in the middle of reading a book. It's a beautiful book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I struggled to find time to read it over Christmas. I only started two days ago. I was busy reading a book about the Second World War. That's a whole other conversation. But this book is a beautiful book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When are we slowing down and giving our attention to God rather than looking at all the noises around us? The last thing I want to mention today is, number one, is new year, new start. Stay close, see better. Lastly, if we have a common purpose, we have common unity. If we have a common purpose... We have common unity. Ephesians chapter 2, the last bit from verse 19 says this. So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Together, we are his house. We are built on this foundation of apostles and prophets. And Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone of the household of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, and you are part of Freedom Church or part of a local church. You are part of this community. But communities only work when they have a clear common 
purpose. The idea of community means common unities. You have a common thing that unites you. A commune is where people go and they live because they have the same set of values. People who gather together because they like the same type of car or they like the same kind of sporting activity or they have children of a similar age. They are communities because they have something that holds them together. And if we as Freedom Church wants to be called to be one, to be united, we need to have a common purpose. And I want to declare at the start of 2020 that our common purpose is not going to be our logo and our branding. Our common purpose is not going to be the way or the style we do our worship. Our common purpose is not going to be the the quality of the coffee. Our common purpose is not going to be the activities that we do. Our common purpose that I am fully committed to is that we will pursue Jesus. And like a triangle, if we are all separated but we are pointing towards the same thing, we get more and more closer together the more we connect with this purpose, this person. Jesus is not a name. Jesus is not a historical character. Jesus is the son of God. He is a person who we can have a relationship with today. And his name is Jesus. Back in the early days of when Jesus was starting his ministry, he went out around the Sea of Galilee and he called these young men, these, these probably teenagers, early 20s. And he went to them and he said, I know you're busy with your father's business, you're doing your nets, you're doing your tax collection, you're sitting under a tree. He said, but come follow me. And those three words are really significant to a Jewish boy. Because if you were a young Jewish boy at that time, you would have, probably from the age of about six, you didn't have schools then, you had the synagogue. The synagogue was, bizarrely, it's interesting, we were here in a school, because back then the synagogue was both the school and it was the meeting place on the Sabbath as well. And the young boys would go and they would listen to the rabbis, the teachers, uh, do their teaching on a Sabbath, in between the Sabbath. And they would sit and they would have to recite the first five books of the Bible. Not just the titles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but every single word of those first, the Torah. They would learn it off by heart. And if they would achieve that by the age of 10, they would then move to the next stage. They'd have to learn the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, word Perfect. Anyone up for that idea? About the age of about 13 or 14 would come the special moment where if they'd successfully learned the Old Testament, they would be interviewed by a possible rabbi that they could become the disciple for, that they could become the follower of. And the rabbi would interview them. And they would interview and see if they remember their scripture. They would interview them and see whether they could recite different passages, understand what they remembered. And at the end of that uh, interview process, the, the, the rabbi would say to the potential disciple, come follow me. It was a sign that said, you have made it. You are welcome. And those disciples, that their intention would then be very simply this. They would follow that rabbi everywhere he went. They would pursue him. In fact, he said that they would, they would actually be so close to the teacher that the dust of where he was walking would be all over their clothes. They would follow in the dust and in the footprints of their rabbi. That they would follow him everywhere he went. That it was part of their learning. That they would become in the shadow of their rabbi. They wouldn't just listen to him, they would chase after him. 
Whatever he did, they would copy. Whatever he said, they would listen to. They would ask questions of. When Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me, they knew what he meant. We've been chosen, but we have to do the running. And, and following Jesus is not a passive activity. It's not making a prayer one day, say, I'm done, I'm in, that's sorted, move on. There's, a, there's an application that we have to participate in this relationship. If you want to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's saying, come follow me. And then he leaves it to you to pursue, to chase, to walk in his shadow, to walk so close to him that you get the dust all over you, that you know him because you're near to him. If we as Freedom Church have a common purpose, we will be united. And like I've said, I am fully committed to leading us as Freedom Church and everyone around me, including myself, into the pursuit of Jesus, that lives and communities will be transformed in 2020. Amen? Amen. Let's get the worship team back up here. Wonderful. Jesus said those words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Religions say there are other ways. The world says there are other ways. There are no other ways. The only way to find full freedom is through the person of Jesus Christ. I want to say if we pursue Jesus, it will give us a fresh start. We will see things better and we will draw closer as a community. And I'll leave you with this question before we hand over to the worship team. What is the one thing that you are going to do this year to pursue Jesus more. I can't tell you what to do. I can't make you do things. Jesus won't make you do things. He just calls you, and then it's over to you. What are you going to do? What is the one thing you're going to do this year to pursue Jesus more? For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.